It's the living that chase the dead. The long bones and skulls are tumbled from their shrouds, and words like stones thrust into their rattling mouths. We edit their writings, we rewrite their lives. Ooh, spooky! It is actually it's, kind of spooky. But it's more metaphorically spooky, yeah. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Hello and welcome to this brand new episode of the brand new relaunched Outside of a Dog. My name is Jonas. And I'm Christian. Hi. So this time around, we will discuss Wolf Hall, Hilary Mantel's very acclaimed 2009 historical novel about the first part of the life of Thomas Cromwell, one of the closest advisors of Henry VIII, and probably one of the most important figures in the English Renaissance. The book follows Cromwell's meteoric rise from the son of a blacksmith to the chief minister of Henry VIII. Along the way, he's the right-hand man of Cardinal Wolsey, who falls from grace. He's the rival of Thomas More, who falls from grace and is executed. And at first, he's an ally of Anne Boleyn, organizing the divorce from Henry VIII's first wife, Catherine of Aragon, However, towards the end of the book, there's trouble on the way in that particular friendship. The author, Hilary Mantel, had written before, had even written historical fiction before, but she became famous for Wolf Hall, most notably winning the Booker Prize both for Wolf Hall and then for its successor, Bring Up the Bodies. So, Jonas, Wolf Hall is certainly an acclaimed novel. Why did you choose it for this episode, for this podcast, to revamp our podcast? Because, of course, we have been on an unfortunate little hiatus for two years, and Wolf Hall is part of the reason why. Because Wolf Hall is one of the books that I wrote my master's thesis on. Which one? Uh, the second one, uh, which was in English literature about... The... Okay, that's enough. Okay, cool. So I wrote one of my master's theses on Wolf Hall and some other books, but Wolf Hall really was the most engaging and probably the most interesting book that I studied. And so I thought, what could be better to restart our podcast than the book that kept me from it for so long? So Christian, you had read Wolf Hall before. Yes, I had. But today you said there was one thing you really wanted to talk about for our listeners. I think historical novels are always really, really interesting because history itself is a narrative. And this narrative has been written in a certain way. And if you look at the history written about this very momentous time in British history, the break from the Catholic Church, the British Renaissance, Henry VIII and his wives and all that, then usually the roles are cast rather rigidly. And Thomas Cromwell, who is the protagonist of this novel, often seems to be the villain. He seems to be some sort of Machiavellian figure at worst, or some boring figurehead at best, who doesn't really have any positive aspect. You have, on the other hand, Thomas More, who is quite literally a saint by now. Look at something like A Man for All Season, or a stage play and a film, where definitely we have this constellation that you just described of Moore being the saintly, progressive, and Cromwell being the dastardly Machiavellian. Or even look at something pulpy and dumb like The Tudors on TV, 
where Cromwell is played like a supervillain. There's a great scene where he unveils a printing press the same way that Dr. Evil would unveil his sharks with laser beams on their head. So Thomas Cromwell was this great villain, at best a bumbling bureaucrat, and then Mantell goes and makes him the focus of her novel, because he is without a doubt, the focus of this novel. So Cromwell is not just the person through whose eyes this book is narrated, he is also the person who this is about. And he is quite the character. Mantel really describes him in a lot of different facets. He is seen as extremely intelligent and extremely resourceful character. He is also a very international person who even in the first chapter suddenly starts talking in Welsh to his brother-in-law and later is conversing in many different languages. He is something of a mastermind, but in a more positive sense. He is really a, well, a Renaissance man. In many different aspects, he seems to be on top of things. And Mantel really portrays this as positive, but without neglecting how he's seen by others. Many characters remark that Cromwell looks like a murderer, for example, which is an interesting facet, that he is the blacksmith's son, and he's often seen by other characters as something of a crude henchman to Woolsey. On the other hand, we see, basically from his perspective, how complex his thoughts on many things are. We see his deep and sincere convictions. For example, something that Mantel adds, which I think, because we're talking about the historical novel, this is something that the historical novel can really do that historiography cannot, and can fill in the gaps of motivation. We don't know necessarily what motivated Cromwell in his heart of hearts to push for a reformation of religious life in England. Was he sincerely convinced, or was it simply a means to an end for him to reach the divorce of Henry VIII? Mantel is in a position to decide for her Cromwell, it is a sincere conviction that he has held for years. And this is something where Mantell is extraordinary in the field of historical novelists. The British historian Dermot McCulloch, who is an expert on the English Reformation, has actually credited her with inspiring his own work and with alerting him to the importance of Wolsey in the early life of Cromwell, pushing him on the right track for his research, his academic research, his historiography, not fiction anymore, but actual history writing. This is a really mutually beneficial relationship between the two of them, it seems. But even from a literary point of view, I think Cromwell is such a fascinating character because he seems to be a modern person in a world that is still quite medieval. And that is, of course, the historical setting. But that also means that his perspective is much more complex. And the sometimes very rigid hierarchy of the court, for example, becomes more complex seen through his eyes. He's a kind of man ahead of his time who drags England kicking and screaming from the Middle Ages into the early modern Renaissance Reformation period, which is a simplistic view of the period, I would say, as a historian, but as a literary scholar, I would say it is a legitimate way to engage with the literary tradition on it. And it makes for a damn good story. Actually, the aspect that I would really like to discuss is related to this, because I'd like to talk a bit more about my master's thesis. Oh, please do. <laughs> so, in my master's thesis, I basically looked at the way how England's relationship with Europe is described in works of historical fiction on the English Reformation. Because there is this hot take out there that the English Reformation was kind of like the first Brexit. I'm oh. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have been online in the past three years, you will have seen those horrible articles 
floating around. And actually, it is a comparison that predates the existence of the modern EU. Noted xenophobe, racist, and all-around horrible person Enoch Powell already spoke about the English Reformation as a sign of breaking away from Europe and not bowing to its authoritarian rule in the 1970s. So this idea is out there, that the English Reformation was a kind of break with Europe. And I wanted to look at how this is portrayed in historical fiction. And it's interesting. Mantel has a very complex portrayal of Anglo-European relations in that period. On the one hand, Europe is a violent, dark, dirty, and sexualized place. On the other hand, it is a progressive place where new ideas come from, where luxury goods come from, and where ultimately Cromwell became this modern man as well. He describes leaving behind his violent ways after fighting in several violent conflicts on the continent when he looked at art in Italy. He is in contact with European merchants, he is friends with people all over Europe, and ultimately, of course, the Reformation comes from Germany as well. At one point, Cromwell and his fellow reformers are described as people who read German. While that seems certainly like a very pro-European view at first glance at least, this kind of notion that Europe is the connection to progression, to modern life, so to say. It's interesting that Cromwell's European life is basically left out of the novel. In the first chapter, we see him as a teenager, and then in the next chapter, he has returned from Europe. And I think that's quite interesting that, as you mentioned, Europe is seen as ambivalent, but it also only plays a kind of minor role. The whole novel still takes place in England. It is still about England, and the view on Europe is always still from England. And I think Mantell is not entirely free from these kind of British stereotypes about Europe, about the continent, so to say. She certainly isn't, but I think you're doing her a disservice if you say that Europe plays a minor role. Cromwell constantly thinks about how he became the man that he now is, and those are always memories of his time in Europe. He remembers picking up a snake in Italy and being bitten by the snake and the snake venom mingling with his blood, and this makes him a bit like the king, he remembers, because allegedly an ancestor of Henry VIII married a woman who was half snake. Allegedly. So I think Europe is really off stage, but it is constantly there. It is constantly on Cromwell's mind, and he constantly remembers things that got him to where he is now. And of course, part of the novel is set in Europe. However, it is Calais, which at the time was controlled by England, so it doesn't really count. But that is one of the probably most interesting and fascinating scenes that whole crossing to Calais, which basically cements the relationship between Henry and Anne Boleyn, that this is the appearance of Europe in this whole thing, regardless of Cromwell's past, is kind of an interesting fact that England even in its Reformation history, is absolutely not removed from the continent. And of course, the role of Europe in Mantel's books can only be judged once the third novel in the series comes out. And actually, as we record this just two weeks ago, it has been announced that finally in March 2020, The Mirror and the Light, the third and final book of Mantel's Cromwell series, will be published. And I think there are indications in Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies that Cromwell's connection to Europe will be his downfall. There is a scene which Mantell invents in Bring Up the Bodies where Henry has a falling out with Cromwell, and that is about Cromwell allegedly trying to force Henry into an alliance with 
the German Protestant princes, which, of course, he will actually do in The Mirror and the Light when he sets up the ill-fated marriage of Henry and Anne of Cleves. And so I think Cromwell's European connections will be a contributing major factor of his downfall. You can quote me on that. One thing we would like to change in Outside of a Dog's future episodes is that we notice that the style of the novels has always been something we really focus on that is quite fascinating, especially when coupled with the content we discuss. So Wolf Hall is not any different. The style of Mantell's writing in both Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies is quite distinctive, and it actually adds to the perspective of Cromwell that we've been mentioning. While I was writing my master's thesis, I accidentally kept typing Wolf Hall with a double O, like it was Virginia Wolf, and I think that is strangely appropriate, because it is a sort of modernist style of free indirect discourse, which very directly tells us the emotions, thoughts, and perceptions of Cromwell in a kind of modernist way that would not seem out of place in a Virginia Woolf novel. At the same time, many readers complain that Mantel's style is confusing. Something that I was first alerted to on Twitter by Andy Kesson is that the pronoun he, for example, does not refer to the most recently named male character, but instead it generally refers to Cromwell which makes for a confusing read sometimes, which is why in Bring Up the Bodies, Mantell usually wrote he, comma, Cromwell, comma. At the same time, the book is kind of a page-turner, and what Mantell really does quite well is portraying the historical setting. That's always a difficulty for historical writing, how to portray what is actually in the background of the whole thing. And she does it quite nicely by summarizing it without being too much of an exposition, fitting the perspective of Cromwell in a, in a nice way, because obviously he is the person who needs to know what is going on. Mantell is also quite good at introducing necessary historical context without making it seem like a history lesson. For example, she will have a chapter called An Occult History of Britain, which is just, can I say balls to the walls? Which is just balls to the walls crazy, and it includes things like giants, snake women, and all sorts of magical things, which are myths, though, that people at the time would have known and probably sort of have believed them, so they are relevant for the context as well. And what is more, with this free indirect discourse, we are very, very close to Cromwell's perspective. He is, after all, the modern man in this medieval world, so he is basically a lot like us. And so when he tortures people, beats them up, blackmails them, we sort of go along with it. I think though that you cannot blame Mantel for writing this kind of character in a book that came out around 2009. Look at where we were culturally at that point. On TV you had The Sopranos, you had Breaking Bad. These are all narratives about horrible people who engage in horrible activities and we still root for them because we find them interesting. Interestingly, usually we find the men interesting, but that's a topic for another time. Another recurring feature we'd like to introduce is discussing our favorite and least favorite parts of every book. The best and the worst. Or, to put it in terms of Wolf Hall, the rise to power and the fall from grace. So, the rise to power, for me, definitely is the style. This is really something that draws you in, that 
makes you follow even the more complicated intricacies of what is going on historically and in Cromwell's life. So I think that is really, really something that made me like Wolf Hall to such a degree that it is historical fiction that never feels like historical fiction. For me, the rise to power would be the Calais section. It's a section that I have marked off in pink post-it notes in my edition of the book, but it is also just my favorite section of the book. It is the weirdest section of the book. He meets some alchemists, he meets Christophe, the thug who becomes his right-hand man, one of the few completely fictional people Mantel introduces, interestingly. In the weirdest and most on-brand parts of the novel, he meets the King of France as well, who is portrayed as a very odd character, who during his meeting with Cromwell discharges some sort of fluid from somewhere in his body, and you're not quite sure whether he actually is only blowing his nose. The fall from grace for me is partly connected to what I mentioned before, that we never really get to see Cromwell's European years. Cromwell enters the story as basically a fully formed character, and that character, at least in my opinion, really doesn't change that much. The situations he encounters obviously require different reactions of his part. How to deal with more, how to deal with what the king wants and so on. But there isn't really a kind of personal arc. Cromwell is a complex character, but he's a character that really doesn't go through any transformation. He just is Cromwell. And I would have loved to see how he got to be there and maybe even how he changed afterwards. But that's not something that the book or Mantel seem to be interested in. For me, the fall from grace would be to do with how much Mantel really inhabits the early modern perspective of her characters. Because there are some parts in the novel that I just feel uncomfortable reading, especially the parts where several people with dwarfism are described people who would have been hired as fools or entertainment by the court of the time, who are basically portrayed as exactly that. They are grinning, grimacing caricatures who vaguely enter Cromwell's field of vision and are an annoyance, and then he kicks them aside. This would have really been a chance to show them for the people they must have actually been, people with all the complexities of character and emotion of people who do not have dwarfism. Jonas, in the end, you wanted to talk about this book. Do you think it is a worthy addition to whatever canon we established by now? It absolutely is. If you like historical fiction, if you like amazingly written fiction, or if you just like books in general, Wolf Hall is a must read. And I'm saying that after spending half a year thinking about it way too much. I surprisingly or not surprisingly agree. I think Wolf Hall is really the perfect entry point for anyone who is interested in historical fiction because it manages to be both a very, very interesting historical portrayal of a time that seems to have been portrayed many times before, but still manages to find something new in there. And it is just a really, really good book. It is thrilling. It is still well-written and complex. So I would definitely recommend reading Wolf Hall. But when our listeners are done reading Wolf Hall and they want to read something else, what else can we recommend for them? I would recommend another historical novel, namely The Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zult. I'm not sure my Dutch is really working there, by David Mitchell. It is also about the early modern period, a bit later, the 18th century. 
and it is about the Dutch trading post in Nagasaki in Japan. And it has much of the same complex perspective that Wolf Hall has, but it adds the double perspective of giving us both the view of Dutch person coming to this strange country and of the Japanese people who have a very, very different narrative of the same events. So David Mitchell's The Thousand Autumns of Jacob the Zoot, English pronunciation there, definitely recommended. I would recommend another book that I studied for my master's thesis, and that is C.J. Sansom's Dissolution. It's the first of a series of crime thrillers set in the reign of Henry VIII. And in the first novel, Matthew Shardlake, a lawyer, is tasked by Thomas Cromwell to investigate a murder that happened in a monastery during the time of the dissolution of the monasteries. Dissolution is, on the one hand, a great and entertaining, very readable crime novel. On the other hand, it is also an amazing work of historical fiction and a very interesting comparison to Wolf Hall. I sort of criticized Mantell's portrayal of people with dwarfism and the hero of the Shardlake series, Matthew Shardlake, actually has a disability as well. He has a hunchback. Now, I'm not a person with a disability myself, but I feel that the way this is portrayed by Sansom is rather positive, and that was something rather interesting to see after reading Wolf Hall. But what about you? Do you think Wolf Hall is not actually a great work of historical fiction? Keep that opinion to yourself. But with all other opinions, you can reach us at outside of a dogcast at gmail.com you can also find us on the interwebs at outside of a dogcast.com and you can follow us on twitter at outside of a hound we promise in the future we will be more active there if you want to support us there's always two ways to do that either write us a review on apple podcast or go to our brand new patreon patreon.com slash outside of a dog supporting us on patreon will help us buy books buy wine by web hosting, but mostly books and wine. And in the future, we have some exciting tiers and rewards planned for you as well. So stay posted. We're coming back in one month's time on the 15th of August with an episode on which book exactly? Well, after historical fiction, I thought we might take a detour when it comes to genre fiction. And I wanted to talk about crime fiction a little more. So I thought we could talk about a classic of the genre, The Talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. So tune in next episode for when I'm doing this podcast alone because I beat Christian to death and have assumed his identity. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. You have seen the film before. I have not. Wait, what? Yes, I have. But officially I haven't. Wait, oh, secrets. <laughs> yeah. Secrets. Yeah. Well, yes, I will wait for, uh, until you also have time to watch it with me. I like. <laughs> <laughs>